Welcome to the Refuge Podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. So, you know, last week we were continuing our sermon series, the third verse sermon series, and we talked about not falling asleep in church, and we told a story about a beetle rod, which kept people awake in the old days of the Puritan church, and Becky reminded me that she's a deacon, and that was what the deacons did. So I made Becky Clark a little beetle rod today, and I thought if any of you start to nod off, maybe she could uh, use it. Um, She didn't really like it. She felt like it wiggled too much, and it wouldn't really do what it was supposed to do. So at any rate, I, I tried. So we have been, for the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at Scripture that is not often preached on. As I shared with you that first week, we had a a young man, Bolton Stegall, who challenged me to preach on some of these. He'd been studying scripture and just wondered why no one ever really preached on them. And I've discovered there's a reason why um, people don't generally. It's been a lot of fun. This week, though, I have to tell you, I came about as close to throwing in the towel and telling uh, telling Bolton that he won. Like, because I, I read the scripture and I'm like, I, I have no idea how in the world to preach on this. It is a very complicated piece of scripture. It is strange and a little bit troubling at times. So challenging is it that there's not even a video this week, (laughs) like you know, when we couldn't even figure out how to do that. Part of it is because it, it is a complicated piece of scripture. It's a snapshot into the early life of the calling of a prophet, and in particular, the prophet Ezekiel. And it's one of those things that you could study for months and years maybe your whole life and not even fully comprehend the depth of what is happening in this particular passage. And so to give a little bit of background about Ezekiel, Ezekiel was from the tribe of Levi and he planned to be part of the temple priest, priestly service. And that was going to happen on his 30th birthday. That was the tradition at the time. In fact, as you may remember, Christ really entered into his public ministry when he was around 30 years old. So that was pretty common. And he was going to be a priest, Ezekiel was, like his father before him and his father before him and his father before him. Kind of had it all planned out. He had married a woman whom scripture called the delight of his eyes. And that is really high praise because at that time there was a lot of arranged marriages and so for them to really be in love was a beautiful thing. But then everything changed when Ezekiel was 25 years old. Babylon came and led by Nebuchadnezzar conquered the Israelites and laid siege to Jerusalem, destroying much of it, killing many people. And they took... Ezekiel, along with about 10,000 others and his family, and brought them to Babylon. And they were living at this detention camp, which is by the river Shabar. It's southeast of Babylon, also called the Grand Canal. And this is where they lived in this, in this particular area. Not at all what he had planned for his life. 
But like all human beings, he began to adapt, I'm quite sure, because we are highly adaptable creatures to our environment. And sometimes things that at first are so offensive or awful to us, we get used to over time. They just become our new normal. And so this went on for him. But on his 30th birthday, he had this vision down by the river in which he saw God. And from that began a series of conversations with God. And that's where we pick up our scripture reading today. It's in Ezekiel in the third chapter, verses 22 through 27. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them and follow along Ezekiel 3, 22 through 27. It'll also be on the screens behind me. Hear these words. And then the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, rise up, go out into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I rose up, and I went out into the valley, and the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory that I had seen by the river Shabar, and I fell on my face. The Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And he spoke with me and said to me, go shut yourself inside your house, As for you, mortal cords shall be placed on you, and you shall be bound with them so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you shall be speechless and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Let those who will hear, hear, And let those who refuse to hear refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Did you catch all of that? Ezekiel, when God calls him, is essentially isolated and told to shut himself inside of his home, metaphorically chaining himself inside. He's no longer allowed to go out and to be among his people, to be with his friends, to be with his family outside of his home. And then Ezekiel is told he is not to speak at all. We don't know whether he couldn't speak or just was forbidden to speak by God unless God was directly speaking through him. And that was the only time God said that he would open his mouth is when he was ready to speak a word. And so he couldn't even have conversations with anyone. I mean, his wife might have liked that. I don't know. But he, he was no longer allowed to talk. He couldn't go talk to his friends. He couldn't go talk to his family outside. He couldn't defend himself. He couldn't do anything with that particular sense unless God said so. But then there's more. If you keep reading, God told Ezekiel to lie on his right side for 390 days and to bear the punishment for the people of Israel. And then when that was finished, he said you're gonna lie on your right side for another 40 days to bear the punishment for the house of Judah. And during this time, God put limits on Ezekiel's food and drink only allowing him to eat bread that at first God said would be cooked over human dung as a a sign of God's anger toward the Israelites. And when Ezekiel protested and said, look, God, my whole life, I've never eaten anything unclean. 
God relented a little and said, okay, you can cook it over cow dung. I mean, can you imagine the smell? So it takes, the idea is, it takes what would have been a pleasing aroma of bread cooking and changes it. And then Ezekiel had to shave his head and his beard. This is what he's been growing his whole life. It was a sign of his connection with God in the priestly house. And so he's to completely shave it off. And I could go on. God actually asked for a few more things. But I figure that we're only going to really have time to touch on a few of those, mainly related to our scripture reading in which he was asked to isolate himself and told that he would no longer be able to speak. Now, do you see why I'm a little tempted to wave the, the white flag here? I mean, this is a very complicated conversation with God. What God is asking of Ezekiel almost feels more than any human being could bear. So where in the world do we go from here? What is this extreme prophet who lived thousands of years ago and his relationship with God have to say to us who are living today? Well, I gathered my biblical scholar, Becky, the deacon, and we had some conversation about this, and it was actually a very helpful conversation as we processed back and forth what it could mean, why this particular scripture. And so the first thing that I see in this, the first real lesson relates to our words and the importance of the words that come out of our mouth, particularly if we have laid claim to Christ's call upon our life if we say that we are part of the body as hands and feet in the world, if we say that his spirit dwells within us and we know that we have been called by him to go and be a witness, how important do our words become? Because our words, they shape us and they define us. Our words give us life and they tell others about us. They tell them what is in our heart and in this way they have great power Ephesians 4, 29 says this, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear, and that they don't grieve the Holy Spirit with which you were marked for the day of redemption. And we know from Genesis that God spoke a word And from that word, creation was set into motion and all that is and ever will be came from that word. And so we know as believers and even those who maybe are new to the faith or who are just here hearing it for the first time, we know that words can bring life. The author of the book of John takes it a step further and he says that Jesus is the very word of God. He was there in the beginning and that word, the one that he spoke over creation, was Jesus. But in as much as we know that words can bring life, we also know that words can bring sorrow and they can bring death as well. We say that thing, sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me, right? But they do hurt, don't they? They really do. They can send us to some very dark places. They can impact whole communities with the things that we say. The book of James warns about this in the third chapter. It says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil 
among the parts of the body and it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of that same mouth comes cursing and praise. My brothers and sisters, this should not be so. Tough stuff, but man, this is so true. We know it, we have seen it in our lives again and again and again. We are capable of saying some remarkable things and we stand and we sing our songs and we give praise to our God and with that very same mouth, we say things that are not at all in line with the God that we love and serve. And those words can sometimes destroy our witness. In the last days of Christ, think of the words that were used to taunt him and wound him. Crucify him, crucify him. We would rather have a known criminal than you. If you are the son of God, save yourself. And Peter's words, you have to be mistaken. I don't even know the guy. The laughter and the jeers and the ugly words, it causes the women to weep as they hear them. But in the midst of that darkness, the very word of God, Jesus, who was with God in the beginning, who is God, spoke words of hope. In the middle of all of that pain, hope for the man on the cross next to him, on this day you shall be with me in paradise. Hope for those who had sinned against him and whom in future generations would. When he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so there is this tension always within us about our words. And God saw this in Ezekiel. You have to wonder what kind of man Ezekiel was before that call was placed on his life. Maybe he was a smooth talker. Maybe he was one who talked a lot. Maybe he was temperamental. I don't really know. We don't know much about him. But we know that God wanted him to be incredibly careful with the words that he spoke. And the reason why was because he wanted him to be a living example of what it meant to be in line with God. He wanted when Ezekiel spoke for people to know it was God speaking. That is an incredibly powerful thing. And so Ezekiel had to spend a very long time saying nothing. What would that look like in our own lives if we, when we spoke, people knew it came from God? And the only way really that is possible is if we are so incredibly careful with the words that we speak. Otherwise, why would anyone listen to a word that we have to say? Now, we are not perfect, obviously, but we are in that place of moving towards perfection. We are those who believe that God's spirit is always at work in us. We are ones who have to be the first when we have messed it up to say we are sorry and to humbly go and seek to do it better next time. And maybe that means we have to also learn how to be quiet sometimes. We don't have to have a response for everything that someone throws at us. Maybe it is better to step back and to pray about it and to say nothing until we are clear that the words that will come out of our mouth next are not 
the words of our own corrupt hearts, but they are the words of our God. It's a very hard and complicated thing to do. The other thing that happens is God asks Ezekiel to set himself apart. You see, even in Babylon, the people had begun to acclimate to their environment and they had begun to pick up the ways of the Babylonians. They were beginning to forget the ways of their God. They were blending in a little too much, so much so that by the end of Ezekiel's ministry, when the Persians came and defeated the Babylonians and allowed the Israelites to go back home, many of them decided not to go. They had made a life for themselves in Babylon and they were content to stay there rather than go back. They'd raised their kids there. They knew the lay of the land. They knew what was expected of them. Man, is there not a word in that for us? We as people of faith are called to live a life set apart, to be in the world but not of the world, to not acclimate so much that if a person walked in, they wouldn't be able to distinguish us from anyone else. Because the ways that God calls us to are often countercultural. They often go against what is the norm and what is acceptable. But man, it is so hard when everything around you normalizes certain behavior, not to give into that, not to just try to fit in, to get along. And so sometimes, I think what God calls us to do as part of our own sanctification is to take a step back. To take a step back from where we've been and to really look at it objectively. Is this behavior in line with what God wants for my life? Is the way that I am in this particular environment the same way that I am when I'm at church? Is it the same way that I am when I'm with my family? Is it the same way that I am when I'm out with my friends? When I'm at work, wherever I find myself, when I'm driving on the interstate, like is everything in alignment with where God wants me to be? And maybe it is that we've become so acclimated that we need a timeout. We need a little time apart to really look at our life. But he doesn't want us to stay apart forever. Eventually, God allows Ezekiel to go back and to be among the people when he knows that he is able to do so. And eventually God allows him to speak again a little more freely when he knows that he has trained his tongue and is much more thoughtful about what he says. There's a story about King Henry III of Bavaria. He grew tired of the court life and tired of the pressures that were always around him. And so he had this idea that he wanted to live his life in a monastery and become a contemplative. And so he went to the leader of the monastery and he said that he wanted to do this. And and the leader said, do you understand that the pledge here is one of obedience? And because you are a king, that might be very hard for you. And the king said, yes, the rest of my life I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you if you'll let me live among you. But the the leader of the monastery wouldn't do it. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go back to your throne and I want you to serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. And when King Henry died, it's a true story, a statement was written, the king learned to be obedient. 
And that is the call upon our life. It is one of obedience, bringing all parts of ourself into alignment with God's will for our life, learning to be cautious with our words, learning to be careful about the ways in which we represent him because we do represent him if we say we are his followers. If, if we who claim that cannot be trusted, then what hope is there for the world? And I know that feels really heavy, but it's important. It is important that we hear it. You know, another reason I have read that, that Ezekiel may have been muted is because God was afraid that he was gonna try to soften the message that God had for the people and God needed Ezekiel to say it just as he meant it. Not to try to make it more palatable, not to let them off a little bit and say, well, God's mad, but but not that mad. Like he really wanted them to know, he wanted them to hear his words directly. And so we have to be thoughtful. We have to guard our words We have to guard our lives and we have to learn wherever we find ourselves to stand in that place of obedience. Is it hard? Absolutely it is hard. Every day is a struggle to do so. I know that y'all try and I know that I try and I know that at times we don't get it right but the call is to keep pushing forward, to keep stretching ourselves, to keep growing, to keep living a life examined to never grow stagnant in our faith because it's in those moments when we do, when we we begin to fall away from where he wants us in our life. One of the ways that we come together and we spend that time praying and thinking about God and his will for our life is in the sacrament of Holy Communion. It's also this reminder of sacrifice and what it means to give one's whole self to God. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus, who was always obedient to God with his words and with his actions, who is our example, the one we model our life after. He sat at a a table with his disciples, his last meal with them, and he took a loaf of bread and he, he wanted to show them what it meant to be a living example. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Come together through the generations And remember this, that sometimes in sanctification, there is a bit of brokenness. And so we come together and we remember. And he took the cup that was on the table after supper and he blessed it. And he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from this cup in remembrance of me so that in the messiness of this life, if you fall away, if you fall short of the mark, you may come and receive forgiveness and then get up again and try and keep going. And so we come and we drink from this cup in remembrance. This is God's table. It is not a United Methodist table. It's not my table. It is God's table. And that means that everyone is invited to come to receive this gift of bread and cup to know that you are forgiven and that you were called to a higher purpose. And so we ask God to pour his Holy Spirit upon these gifts of bread and cup, that they may be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may go from this place, his hands, his feet, that his words might guide our words and indeed guide our very lives. 
the kneeling rails are open, I encourage you when you're done with communion to pray, to listen for what God may have to say to you. Maybe God's calling you to a time of silence. Maybe God's calling you to step back from something that you've gotten too involved in, too close to, and you've lost perspective. I don't know what it is. I think that sanctification process looks different for each life. As we take communion together, we have five different stations. If you're over here, then you'll exit this way and come to the station on the end. If you're here, you'll exit this way and come to either of these stations. There's a gluten-free station here, and it's the same here. You exit uh, to your left and re-enter the opposite way. So let us pray. God, you know us. You know our ways. You know the good and the bad about them. But God, I just... Pray now as we come and we bring all of who we are to you that you might receive it and you might help us to move closer and deeper into that space that you have for us, that you would guard our lives and guard our mouths, that you would help us to truly be the people you're calling us to be. In the powerful and precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.